the uh, children can be dismissed at this time. I was lost. I was like, okay, what do I do at this point? Um, the children can be dismissed. I, I was thinking about it. Uh, I'm preaching today, and all of my all of my family has found ways to get out of this room. So, <laughs> Courtney is keeping toddlers. She's like, I would rather hang out with two year olds, honestly, than hear you talk for thirty minutes. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, I wanted to give a quick update on how things are going in RUF. I mean, we're uh, over a month into the school year. Um, things have been going well. I mean, we've it's been exciting to uh, to be back in somewhat normal times. Like we don't we don't have a lot of masks on campus. We don't have any restrictions for anything. Uh, it seems like students are sort of waking up out of the dark ages that were the past couple of years, and that they are. Uh, wanting to get plugged in on campus and wanting to be involved in different things, and so um, it's been really encouraging to see to see that kind of develop. Um, we've had so many leaders among our students step up who want to lead small groups, who want to lead with music. Who uh, there is a, a game night that is happening tonight at a student's apartment that I have nothing to do with, and that's a that's a really cool thing to to see happening. And of course. All of that is is um, is important because it creates community. Uh, students feel so isolated from each other a lot of times. Students show up to college, they look around, they see all these people who are there, but they somehow feel lonely at the same time, and that really messes with their brains because they're like, "Wait a second, I'm in this sea of people, and I feel like I'm all alone." And so, um, you know, these kinds of things offer community, and within that community, you begin to feel. The gospel. Um, there's opportunities to hear the gospel, like on Tuesday nights when we meet together, and like I said, we go through the Apostles' Creed. Um, when when we're able to sit down one on one with students, either me or other students, and kind of listen to them and encourage them with the gospel in their day to day lives. When we sit down in small groups and we open up Scripture and we kind of talk about it and break it apart and and help one another in understanding this difficult book. So there's a lot of uh, exciting stuff that's happening at uh, at JSU. Um, one thing uh, that that I just sent out an email uh, yesterday morning to uh, a bunch of alumni because we were trying to get the alumni to come back, uh, RUF alumni to come back to JSU for homecoming, and we're going to. Um, do a tailgate with them and maybe a dinner afterwards and and spend some time reuniting and like uh, you know getting them back in touch with one another and letting them see what kinds of things are happening still after they've left and so I hope that's a really good time of encouragement that'll be uh, October 22nd so if y'all could pray for that as far as the preparations and also for people to to have the time in their schedule to show up to it and just that as they get together that that would be a really good thing for us. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 131 as our passage for this morning. But before we look at it, you may have had this experience. You open your eyes, you roll over, you look at the alarm clock, and it's shining you know, too bright in the dark room. It's like 2.30 in the morning. 
your body is so tired, your eyelids are so heavy, but sleep just seems to escape you. You just, you just can't get to sleep. Your heart feels like it's beating out of your chest. Your stomach is all up in knots. Um, maybe you think back on the thing earlier in the day or the thing that you're processing and you remember why you just can't seem to get to sleep. It's a common experience. Anxiety affects all of us. Uh, on a college campus, I mean, statistics are all over the place. Uh, I read something from the Mayo Clinic that said 44% of college students have reported anxiety and depression symptoms. Uh, obviously, the past couple of years of COVID and the crazy things that are happening in the world and um, inflation and how tight money is getting for so many people and political turmoil, that those things don't help at all, right? Um, that we live in a really kind of anxious time in an anxious world. I shared this, uh, this psalm at our Kaposig fraternity Bible study last week because I asked them, I was like, what kind of things, what kind of passages would be helpful for y'all to look at? And the first one that this group of guys said immediately, these tough fraternity guys, right? They're cool. They're tough. They don't, they work out all the time and don't study. You know, they're not afraid of anything. First thing that they said was anxiety. Right? Anxiety and stress. How to deal with those things. Anxiety is so common and it can be so debilitating. It feels like you're living life uphill. Right? Everything feels like it takes so much effort. Your body is exhausted, but then you can't sleep and so you never get rest. Right? Your brain feels like it just shuts down, like you can't think straight. That anger just is right below the surface. Your, your fuse is so short. So what do we do with anxiety? What do we do with worry? And, you know, in this context, I'm talking about non-traumatic, non-clinical anxiety, right? I mean, this is stuff that is not diagnosed. Um, you know, we have resources now like counselors and medications and stuff like that. And those are, those are very important and, and I think Scripture would say uh, very good things to use. Like if I have a headache, I take Tylenol, right? I mean, those are, they're, they're medicines that I, can, that I can take. I don't simply sit and say, well, I'm just going to pray this headache away. Um, but even if we do have diagnosable anxiety, even if we are on medication for it, then how do we engage this on a spiritual level? How do we fight against these kinds of feelings? What can we do? Psalm 131 uh, I'm, I'm able to describe that feeling at the beginning because I've felt that over the past just week. Um, Psalm 131 is a psalm that I've been meditating on this past week and been able to share with, with some students. And it's a short and beautiful song. It's a psalm. It's only three short verses. Charles Spurgeon said, This is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. 
that there is a lot in these these three verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at it just verse by verse and kind of break it down and see it as a way to help us in the midst of our stress and anxiety and worry and encountering the difficulties of life to learn how to quiet and calm our soul. So, let me read for us and then we'll pray and we'll talk about it. Psalm 131, a song of a sense of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things that could fill our minds in this moment. There are so many thoughts seeking to gain entry in our minds right now. I pray that you would calm and quiet those. That you would use this time for us to remember your love for us. To know your plans for us. And to know the character of the God behind those plans. That he is good. That he cares for us. That he looks at us like a helpless and vulnerable child. Let us remember that in this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, starts off, Our Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. You know, first off, that's, that's kind of the opposite of the, uh, the feeling of anxiety and its cousin, depression, you know. The opposite, the feeling that you probably feel when you're anxious is not that your heart is too lifted up, but your heart is burdened down. You know, that your heart is, you, you couldn't lift up your heart if you wanted to, right? And, and then at another level, it's weird to see this because it says, you know, lift up your hearts is a command in Scripture. It's a common thing in, in traditional liturgies to say, lift, lift up your hearts. And the response is, we lift them up to the Lord. Now that dates back centuries and centuries, probably millennia um, of Christians have said those things. And then my eyes are not raised too high. Um, those are those the ten psalms earlier, Psalm one twenty one. David commands them, "Lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come from?" So, in what sense does does David say, "My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high." What is what does he mean? I think we have some echoes of this all the way back in Deuteronomy eight. When the people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, they've made it through their wilderness wandering. The, the faithless generation has died off. They're getting ready to enter into the fullness of God's promises toward them. 
It's very exciting. But in the midst of this excitement, Moses offers a word of warning. He says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then... Your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It seems from Deuteronomy 8 that one of the dangers of our heart being lifted up is that we forget about God. That we forget about his provision for us in the past. I know that is very common for me. That when, I'm go- when I am stressed out, when I am worried, that I look at my particular circumstances and I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of this? Why can't I get these people on board? You know, why can't I get these people to do this? Why can't this thing work out this way? And the last thing I think about is God. You know, the last person I think of is God. And the last thing about God that I think about is the ways that he has helped me in the past. The ways that he has delivered me in amazing, uh, miraculous ways. In the ways that he's just been faithful over the years. We've been going through the book of Exodus and we see, we haven't quite gotten into some of the deliverance, but we see the ways that he delivered his people and provided for them and they quickly forgot They quickly got so wrapped up in the circumstances before them that they forgot the past. That their heart got lifted up and they were like, okay, we have accomplished these things. Look at all these things that I've done for my life. And they forget the God who made all of that possible. The God who brought them through every step of the way. That one of the dangers of lifting up our hearts and thinking that we are sufficient in ourselves is that we forget about God and his provision. And then you think of your eyes being raised too high. My eyes are not raised too high. I was talking to a student about this last week and I, and I asked him, I was like, you know, you know when somebody's talking to you and they're like, you're sitting in front of them, but they're at the same time, they're kind of looking over you, like, you know, seeing if there's somebody who walked in. It's like, oh, do I recognize that person? You know, they're kind of like looking over your head as they're talking to you. And so I said, Did you, have you ever experienced somebody like that? And he kind of chuckled. And he said, yeah, you do it all the time. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, dang. And I definitely do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be talking to a student, especially if we're on a Tuesday night, and we're in large group. I'm talking to him, but I'm also kind of looking around like, who else? is here, you know. Um, A large group is a really bad time for me because I I do good when I have focus, you know, in front of me. There's too many distractions of people when there's a bigger group. Um, But but if, if your eyes are raised too high, then you're not focused on the thing in front of you. Right. You're not focused in on the thing that you should be focused in on. Uh, that you get distracted um, by the stuff that's, that's outside of yourself. So if our hearts are lifted up, we forget God's faithfulness in the past. If our eyes are raised too high, we forget our responsibilities in the present. 
Right? That's what we do with anxiety is that I get so focused on all these things that are outside of my control that I forget about the things right in front of me. He further explains this in the next phrase. He says, um, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Um, in the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand by Paul David Tripp, is a great book. He has this graph. This, he's got a bunch of graphs in there, but there's this illustration of these two concentric circles. And the middle circle, it says your area of responsibility. Things that you have, have power and responsibility to take care of. And then outside of that is your areas of concern. Things that you can pray about. Things that you can kind of think about, but at the same time, it is outside of your realm of responsibility and inside the realm of God's responsibility. So much of what I personally try to do is I try to move my area of responsibility out. That there are arrows pointing out of that center circle into the outside circle because I want to take care of God's job for him. Right? I would like to manage what God is in control of. And then I forget about the things that I'm responsible for. I either neglect them or I just don't know how to handle them. You know, those, the things in front of me, even the smallest things are so overwhelming. Because I'm already occupying myself with things that are too great, too marvelous for me. Things that are above my pay grade. Tim Keller says, worry is not believing that God will get it right. That I'm concerned that God is going to mess up. And so maybe I should help him out a little bit. You know, guide him along the way. I, I look at this first verse and I wonder how much it is David's statement of his actual reality in his heart. Because it's stated in those terms. He says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too wonderful for me. I wonder how much of that is the actual current present disposition of his heart and how much of it is him saying, I need this. Right? He's praying, God, let this be true of me. Yeah. I know when I've prayed this over the past week especially, it has been the second thing. Right? God, let this be true of me. Let me not get too wound up in stuff that I shouldn't have to worry about. Let me focus on the things that I'm responsible for right now and trust in you and your provision uh, for the future. So verse 2. In verse 1, David tells us what he's not doing. In verse 2, he tells us what he is doing. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. He has calmed and quieted his soul. That, that, that word means like actually smoothed. One of those words means smoothed out. Um, it, it is giving yourself time, giving your life time, those turbulent waters in your life, giving it time for it to smooth down, for it to look like glass on the surface. That's a lot. 
There's constant turbulence in our life, constantly things that are kicking stuff up, right? We're constantly on the move. We're never slowing down. And what David says is he's had to slow down because otherwise his heart lifts up too high. His eyes raise. He gets wound up about things that that are outside of his realm of responsibility. And he looks like, he, the image that he gives us is a weaned child with its mother. When I was in college, I did a study abroad in Quito, Ecuador. And the way to get around in the city, like the only public transportation, was, were, was the bus system. And the bus drivers were notoriously reckless. I mean, it was not an uncommon thing to turn on the nightly news and to see about a bus that had run off the mountain or like, I mean, just craziness, you know, people getting hit by buses and all, all kinds of stuff like that. And the buses were packed. I mean, packed to the gills. People are just pushing each other to get onto the bus and everything. People are standing there. They're sitting and everything and all that stuff. There was one day when I was standing kind of in the middle and the, the way that the, the seats were on some of the buses is they would face in toward the middle. And so I am standing in the middle facing this, this young lady. We're driving, driving down the road and the bus driver takes a really sharp sudden turn. And I just completely face plant on this poor lady. And it was a long turn. So I was like, I'm trying to get up, but the G-forces are holding me down. It's just not working. It was mortifying. I was I was embarrassed. The lady was probably ruined her day. You know. Finally, I get back up, and then you know we've got like a forty minute bus ride. Still, we're just kind of staring at each other. It's kind of weird. So, in the midst of all this chaos that's happening on the buses, like just slamming on brakes and turning here and honking horns and people getting on the bus and asking for money and it's just packed, you look around and you see toddlers passed out asleep on their moms completely at rest like sweaty hair sticking in their face you know just mouth hanging open passed out right that's the picture that i think of in as i look at this in the midst of chaos and heat and noise and near death experiences toddlers are passed out on their moms a weaned child is a toddler. Um, the same word is used uh, in First Samuel to describe Samuel when he's weaned and handed off to, to the priests at the temple. And Courtney and I have had our fair share of experience with toddlers. We've had a lot. Um, uh, we have a really tough, crazy toddler right now. Um, when he's with me, he wants to fight and wrestle and play. If I'm trying to hold him when he's sleeping, he's like, no, he just doesn't like it. But with Courtney, he sleeps so hard. He is completely out cold, out, uh, completely at peace. And, you know, this ha- ends up happening when kids are sick, right? Maybe you remember that. You remember, like, being sick and your parent holding you, and being on their chest, and the comfort that that brought you. Even though you were still sick, you were still hurting, the comfort that that brings is unmatched. And that's the kind of calm and quiet that David has in mind here. But I think it's interesting... I've thought about this for a while, and I think it's interesting that he chooses a weaned child and its mother. He doesn't say an infant. 
You know, in other passages in Scripture, it talks about us being like um, children with a nursing mother. He chooses the language of weaned child. Why that specifically? Um... I was trying to get a good discussion going at the Kappa Sig House, and believe it or not, not those those fraternity fraternity guys don't know a lot about breastfeeding, you know. Um, but when a baby is newborn, uh, they need that milk from their mother. You know, they need that nourishment from their from their mother. Uh, Courtney was really happy to be breastfeeding Sam in the midst of COVID because she knew like her immunity and 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 uh, antibodies and all those kinds of things, science things that I don't understand, passed on to him. That he gained her immune system, the benefits of her immune system. Um, but as babies grow older, they grow teeth. Start to give them food. And so their main source of nourishment and nutrition comes from food. And so their relation with breastfeeding is less of like, this is my main source of nutrients, and becomes, this is more of a comfort for me. Um, and so toward the end, breastfeeding is simply like a comfort thing. So in order for Sam to grow in maturity, Courtney weaned him. Uh, and how do children respond when they are forced to wean? Not well, right? Sam is by far the the baby who has struggled the hardest with weaning. There's kicking and screaming and tantrums. And you've got to think, I don't know if toddlers' brains work this way, but if they did, they would be like, what is the status of my relationship with my mom? Like, why does she hate me? Like, what's going on here? She's pushing me away. Like, this thing we had going, like, she doesn't want it anymore. Like, why has she rejected me? It sounds a lot like the Psalms, right? Why have you rejected me? Why are you so far from me? Um, there's this book, this new book. I haven't read all of it. I just read a free sample that's online. It's called A Still and Quiet Mind by a counselor named Esther Smith. It's um, P&R Publishing, which is connected to the PCA. But uh, she, the first words in this book are, Why does God hate me? And she's describing her thoughts that are going through her mind in the middle of the night when she has really bad neck pain. She can't get to sleep. She's like, why does God hate me? Those are the first, those I think, that is the core question, I think, that we ask when we're going through difficulties. Do you love me, God? Do you, do you you think about the disciples on the boat when the wind and the waves are crashing all around them and they look at Jesus and they say, do you even care? Right? Don't you even care about what's going on with us? Do you love me? That's the question that Satan introduces in the garden. Right? He says, hey, God is withholding from you. There is something that God has taken away from you and he does it because he's not good. Because he's, a, he's not a loving God. That is the core question that we're asking ourselves. We encounter all kinds of anxiety-inducing challenges in life. And God does it for our maturity. For our growth. So that in the midst of that, 
those difficulties, we can be reminded that yes, God, God does love me. That our relationship is still stable. That what happens with with a toddler is the the reason maybe that they use, he uses this language of a weaned child is because a weaned child is transitioning into a place where you receive comfort from your mother rather than what your mother can give you. You know, that, they, that your comfort comes from your mother herself. That that's what God wants us to do. That in the midst of difficult circumstances, that he wants us to learn that our comfort comes from him. And who he is, and who his, what his character is toward us, simply not simply the gifts that he gives us. So how do we do that? I love how he emphasizes it. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. When I was at the fraternity house, I was like, how does that make y'all feel, you know, to be told to be children? Like, we're told so much of the time, like, man up, overcome it. Like, just think positively and you can climb any mountain. You can surpass any challenge. You know, you can do it. You have the strength in yourself. And what we're told in Scripture is, become like a child. That's the same kind of thing that Jesus uses, right? Children are the ones who get it. Like, become like these children. These children are not immature and like, oh, they, they're just not as smart or they're not as strong or they're not as whatever. He says, become like that. This is King David. Remember, like in, in Samuel, it says like, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He's like a warrior. He is unmatched. And he is seeking to become a child. Resting in his mother's arms. It's like, that's the goal. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's not about him being good enough. So how does he do that? Verse 3 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This same uh, phrase, O Israel, hope in the Lord, is used in the previous psalm. If you look up, um, if you have your Bibles open, to Psalm 130, verse 7, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And then it gives a ground clause for why Israel can hope in the Lord says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. That word that we see over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. That covenant love. That, that never-ending love that God has for his people. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him there is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. We quiet our souls and focus on the love that God has for us. In that book, um, A Still and Quiet Mind, the one that I referenced earlier, she says this. The, the strategies I offer allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. She says this renewal does not happen through willpower. Or even through replacing our thoughts with Scripture. Not that alone. She says, we are transformed when we stand in God's presence with unveiled faces, with intimacy, and
in vulnerability. Like a vulnerable child in the arms of the one who loves him more deeply than anyone else on the planet. Vulnerability and intimacy. And, and why do we long, why is this such a beautiful thing? It's, it's not simply so that I can sleep at night, right? It's not simply so that I can have a still and quiet mind. But it's so that I can serve others. If I am anxious, if I am worried, I'm thinking about me, I'm so wound up. If I'm sitting with a student and a student tells me something, then my own like stuff is going to get wrapped up. It's like my goals for that student or whatever, you know, like whatever it might be gets all wrapped up in that conversation. And maybe I'll react angrily or maybe I act with like neediness or worry, you know, all these different things. But if I, if I am like a weaned child with its mother. Whatever that student tells me, I don't think about how does this affect Daniel. Think about how has how God at work in this student's life? How, how can I testify to God's goodness in the midst of this? When you encounter difficult circumstances, rather than freaking out and scrambling around and yelling at people around you, you can think clearly and say, hey, what's going on here? Let's evaluate this situation, you know? Let's be, I, I, there's, there's that stability, there's that weight, that anchoring that comes, you know? There's, there's the peace in the midst of chaos so that you can actually care for the people around you. There are so many passages of scripture that testify to, to this love. And one in particular that is pretty relevant in light, of, in light of this passage. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Isaiah 49.15. says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And then it says, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God says, it's more likely that a nursing mother will forget about and abandon her baby than it is for me to forget about you. And the next phrase of that is, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And we know from the New Testament what, what the fullness of that is. Right? The hands that were pierced on the cross. The hands that he holds out to Thomas and says, touch and feel and see. These wounds are still here for you. That I love you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Rest in that in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of the turbulence around you, in the midst of the chaos. The hands that he describes in John 10 of holding us so tightly that no one will be, ever be able to snatch us out of them. Right? That, that we are held tightly in his grip. Went to the playground yesterday with the kids and Sam fell at one point. And you know that when a kid falls and just like eats it, 
the first thing that they do is they sit up and it's like they always know somehow where their parent is. They sit up and look up to see, look at the parent and say, how serious is this situation? How should I respond? Right? And if you laugh and everything, then they get up and they're like, okay, I'm cool, I'm cool. That's how we need to navigate life. It's like when we, when we encounter things that make us just face plant in life, then we look up immediately to see Jesus and say, how should I respond in this situation? And he is always there. We are always secure. No one can take away the things that he has given to us because he gave them to us before we were ever born. Right? That they are secure and unchanging. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray.